Pellicle is proudly sponsored by Lochran Brewers Select, a seventh-generation family-owned business based near Dundalk in Ireland. In 2014, James Lochran established Lochran Brewing Stores in order to supply high-quality brewing ingredients to the burgeoning beer industries in the UK, Ireland and mainland Europe. The business expanded in 2022 when ingredient wholesaler Brewers Select joined the Lochran family, expanding its suppliers within the brewing ingredient and raw material industry. Some of those suppliers include Crosby Hops, a family-owned hop farm in Oregon, USA, Baird's Malt here in the UK, and industry-leading yeast producer Lalamond. Thanks to their support, we're able to pay more writers, photographers, and illustrators than ever before, and invest in special projects like this podcast. Thanks again to Lochran Brewers Select, who you can find out more about by visiting brewersselect.co.uk forward slash pellicle. And now... Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Pellicle Podcast with me, Matthew Curtis, and another instalment of the conversations we recorded at last year's FineFest. We will, of course, be back at FineFest again this year, in June 2024. We'll be doing things a little bit differently. We're going to have a much more beer-focused set of talks and tastings, as in it's focused around the beer itself. We'll be talking about beer styles and tasting lots of beer as well. We hope to see you up in Glenfine at the start of the summer. Tickets are available now from finefest.com. But now we'll head straight into this conversation, which we called Make Beer Fun Again. It's hosted by my colleague, Johnny Hamilton, and features Dominic Driscoll, who's the operations manager at Thornbridge Brewery in Derbyshire, A.D. Fenwick, who is the marketing manager at Fine Ales, and Lucy Clark, who at the time of this recording was the taproom manager at Shawshop Brewing and is someone with lots of industry experience, having also worked for Siren and Cloudwater. So that's our panel. Let's head back to the Glen and straight into this conversation. Enjoy. Welcome to this panel. Uh, my name is Johnny Hamilton. I'm a co-founder of Pellicle Magazine with Matthew here. Don't know why I extended it. Um, and we have a, a panel that I think it's going to be really good, good, good fun. Um, mainly because uh, Pellicle Mag was set up um, for four and a bit years ago with the intention of uh, showcasing the, the nice parts of the industry. That is not to say that we are trying to overlook the, 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 pot, the serious side of the industry, but we wanted to shine a light on what the joy, we talk about joy a lot in, in what we do, and uh, I think everyone here is at FineFest for the same reason, which is we still love and uh, appreciate beer, and uh, we've got some, some real veterans, some real heroes of the industry here. I thought you were going to say characters. Oh, you we know, have the, some real characters. The word you use when you're not really sure how to describe someone. Oh yeah, they're, they're a bit of a character, yeah. Um, so if you guys would, uh, wouldn't mind introducing yourself, so you, Ada, you, Ada, you can start and walk toward. Hi, I'm Ada. I'm head of marketing for Fine Ales here and one of the people who organises Fine Fest. 
I know I threw that in because I knew that you guys would be. <laughs> Hi, I'm Lucy. I work for Sure Shop Brewery, running their tap room. Hi, I'm Dominic, and I'm the production manager at Thornbridge. Okay, so we're here to talk about fun. Um, so, something that I've noticed in the, in the past, uh, I've been in the industry professionally, I guess, for about 10 years, which is, some people on the panel have been there for longer, some, probably, probably all of you longer than that. But um, we've seen a lot of change in the industry from what can only be described as a bit of a, an industry of people making their home brewing into their profession. Uh, people like Andy Parker, for example, who was in a panel last night, have done amazing things by taking that, uh, that hobby, sorry, I'm just getting comfy, uh, <laughs> and uh, turning it into a profession. And we went through, it's certainly around, I want to say 2010, 2014 era, beer was of questionable quality in a lot of uh, small breweries, and, but we were having a lot of fun making it. Uh, flash forward to now, um, I know prof as, as well as running the magazine, I'm also... Uh, work for a brewery and we for example have stopped attending pay to play festivals because it's just we just can't afford it um, and there has been a definite definite shift between uh, the fun of the industry and uh, capitalism and I'm not trying not to make this into a talk about capitalism but um, starting with Eddie do you, have you felt that and when do you think that things started to change in the industry? So I started in beer, I guess it was 2012 when I first uh, got into beer and that was just working in like bar side at uh, Hangabout in Edinburgh. And it, everyone was just super, super excited about it. I think there was a lot of um, people just learning about beer. And I think for me, like that's definitely the part that's the happiest for most people is when they're just learning about beer. And nobody takes it uh, as seriously but they're just excited no matter what they're trying and things. And I think what's happened, probably that was when we were having a big boom. As we've all progressed and learnt more about beer and gotten a little bit more, I guess, uh, I don't know, clued up about some of the things that we like and things like that, that we probably started to take it a little bit too seriously. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, that I think impacts it. But I think, yeah, definitely we can see the shift. If I use Finefest as an example we've had less brewers able to attend or less uh, brewery staff able to attend this year um, because it's not, you know, if, if they don't need to be here because we're obviously pouring the beer for them rather than uh, them needing to stand behind the bar and taking cash themselves. So there's definitely an impact that's been happening due to um, a lot of probably financial criteria. And I think that does make a difference because we know that these things are such a lovely opportunity for brewers and brew teams and stuff to network and to get to know each other and to create that sense of community within craft beer and not being able to attend those things definitely has an impact on that. Um, so yeah, I think there's, there's it's, I feel a shift. But I think I, I'm always conscious that for me, it's working in beer sometimes that I think changes that because when you kind of go behind the curtain I guess of things um, when you're enjoying the end product and you are just there for the sort of the joy of it all and the you know and the drinking of it then beer can still remain really exciting and really fun but when for those of us who work in it it can be a little bit more challenging to maintain that same level of excitement and and joy around it when the hard slog kicks in so um, we've got Lucy on the panel who, um, so Sure Shot are a relatively new brewery to the scene, uh, very exciting, but 
um, they have definitely put their own spin on uh, keeping beer fun. Uh, the names, especially the artwork, everything is kind of referential of something in pop culture that yeah. we can all laugh about. And I'm wondering if you, how you feel about that? Do you think that's something that will that is important in the industry to have that, like not taking yourselves too seriously? I think for us it's really important because the reason we all got into beer, everyone at the brewery, is because we have a great time drinking it, basically. It's, it's good fun. We like the shenanigans that happens when you have a drink and, and the people you meet. And I don't think any of us would be here if it wasn't for that. Like, we wouldn't be doing this if it was like soft drinks, would we? So, um, but yeah, I think the fun element is like you touched on it actually with the quality thing. So, like when the quality of beer kind of stepped up, I think people tended to take it really seriously and forgot about why maybe we started. So what we're trying to do is make amazing beer, but also go back to remembering why we did it in the first place. And it's supposed to be like the tap room as well. It's supposed to be like a super fun social space that's welcoming everybody and, and, and just chilled out. And like, we just have a nice time. So that's the whole, that's the whole point, really. So uh, if you could... At this point, uh, tell people what they're drinking, but also we've, well, we'll move on for that because I've got something that I think will be really interesting to discuss. But if you, people are drinking various beers, I believe? There's a couple of, well, there's one mixed box. There's Small Man's Wetsuit and Milson. And then there's a mixed box of a few new ones. So Small Man's Wetsuit is a reference to Flight of the Concords. So I imagine I you can't believe as a Kiwi I didn't realise that. So I am ashamed. That's shocking. That's shocking. Oh my god! Sorry, guys. Sorry, I'm sorry. Sorry to New Zealand. Yeah, and so you know that's you know that and Milton are our core range beers. And the other ones, I can't even remember what's in the other box. Has that been opened or handed out? Do you want to get some out? Also, I'll be honest. The references are so mental. I struggle to remember what they are a lot of the time. So. I mean, it's like memes and films and songs and musicals and all sorts of stuff we've seen as a team. Um, so maybe on the other side of that, uh, we have Dom, who has worked in... How long have you been at Thornbridge? Uh, I think I've been there about 13 years now. So you've, you've seen trends come and go, and you've seen... Uh, and I would say, like ourselves at New Barns, uh, Thornbridge beers are... They still have names, and they're, they come from a different part, but I would say a very different approach to uh, brewing and naming of beers and uh, marketing. Do you think, and this is not a slight because that beer was delicious, um, the Sure Shot one, do you think that some people might, uh, I don't know, like, does the silliness of beer sometimes maybe put people off in terms of like, this product isn't a good product because it's not taking itself seriously? And how far do we go into that? Because, like... We don't see other products in the... We don't, we don't buy blueberries in the supermarket because they're called a funny name. Uh, but in the beer industry, yeah, it's... <laughs> Beer's a very broad church, and um, obviously Sure Shot is not marketed at 60, 70-year-old real ale drinkers. You know, it's for, for people who you know, can see the fun in it and get some of the memes and enjoy the references and things, and the, the, the very modern styles. Um, so Thornbridge, you know, we're, we're a lot bigger... And we, make, we sell beer in a lot of different places, so it can seem a little bit more dull, and, but slightly more grown up in some respects. Um, but yeah, we sort of appeal across the board. But it's, so it's great that people, you know, we, well, you know, I'm not getting any younger, so it's great that people are still coming through with a bit of uh, enthusiasm. So. 
I think that is a very important point that um, we are obviously, rightfully so, seeing a change in market with younger people and a lot more movement towards low and no alcohol beers. And we are at uh, risk if uh, we don't uh, do certain things in the industry of, uh, of there becoming less people who are interested in drinking beer. I mean, certainly it took a long time for me uh, growing up in Northern Ireland to even know what beer other than mass market. There was no culture of beer, really. And whenever I got into beer, I definitely felt from my friendship group that I was the strange person who was like interested in an old man hobby because the only access to beer in like 2009 was for me to go on my Todd to camera fests. And uh, I think we've seen a lot of positive change in the industry and... uh, yeah, maybe let's just chat about how how did how do you feel as uh, going into those spaces back then and versus now? So yeah, I mean, so I what didn't know anything about beer before I moved over to the UK eleven years ago and started working in beer. I, I all I sort of tried outside of the um, the five or six different uh, Australian lagers that would pour in any bar at any time was the occasional like Belgian beer or something like that. But I knew that I wanted to learn a bit more about it, which is why I took a bar job when I first moved over to um, to Scotland. And there was a real mix, I think, in the bar at that time of people who were into um, their real ales and who were into very traditional th- beers. And then this bunch of like young, younger people who were like just discovering new styles and kind of getting into it. And I think it was interesting to see both sides of that in the same bar because we serve both sort of cask and, and keg and things. And I think, I don't know, I definitely see a, a shift and I think, for me, I think one of the sort of things that is about taking beer so that it's not just in beer spaces, and I, that's like kind of a key way of reaching new audiences and kind of and take and, and making beer a little bit more interesting. It's like you know, if you've got fun events, we should have good beer pouring there. It doesn't, you know. Unfortunately, I'm very aware of the fact that money can limit that when you've got big sponsors of, you know, your big big brewers with lots of money and things like that, but. Not everyone would want to go into a space like, you know, a real ale festival and things like that when they're young and just learning about beer. As a woman, I definitely had some experiences of being offered half pints or low ABVs or did I want a shandy and things like that when I first started going to festivals like that. I'm very happy to say that, that that's quite different for me now. Um, but I think sometimes people are a bit intimidated by that. They want to learn about beer, but maybe going into beer festivals and things isn't the place for them because it can be a bit overwhelming. Same with things like beer bars that uh, have a whole host of breweries they've never heard of. And you remember, we've obviously both worked at the Hanging Bat. You go in and you wouldn't know necessarily what to order and you need bar staff who are willing to like converse with you and chat and make you feel comfortable to be able to do those things. And beer festivals don't always have the time, nor to beer bars sometimes, to be able to do that. So getting good beer into spaces that aren't, it's not necessarily the first thing is about the beer. It could be, you know, gigs and, um, you know, I don't know, like the roller derby or something that I like going to and things. You know, you've got good beer pouring at places like that. People get a chance to learn and try things that they maybe otherwise wouldn't and you're talking to an entirely new audience and getting people excited without putting them into in, sometimes intimidating spaces. But also they can they can learn as much about it as they want or just be in a space and enjoy it and have a great time. And I think that's really important. Like, 
you don't have to know loads about it to appreciate it and enjoy it. If it's good, it's good. And but if you want to learn more, you can. Yeah. And I think breaking good beer out into different spaces allows that to happen more easily. I think it's uh, yeah super important what you said, and uh, one of the most like heartwarming and like things that give me a sense of not that I feel hopeless in the industry, uh, <laughs> but give me a revived sense of uh, excitement about the industry was being back in Northern Ireland a few months ago for the closure of a local music venue, a venue I'd spent a lot of time in, and uh, very much harp uh, Guinness Buckfast on the optics, like it was not a beer bar. A uh, local brewery in Port Rush, where, I'm, where I, my parent, parent family live, called Lakata, have been around for a while. And I was at the bar, just getting a pint of uh, harp, and noticed the people around me who were there for local music and to celebrate this locality were like, have you got any Lakata cans in the fridge? And I'd never seen that before. Yeah. Like, it was amazing, because if you think about them together, like DIY, punk bands, local locality, and celebrating this thing, why wouldn't that appeal at the same time but drinking mass market lager? I think now people are a bit more discerning. And uh, yeah, it's really nice to see. But I think events like this with, that are making a bit more of a music festival, but also with beer, yeah. is a lot more approachable than beer festivals. And I don't know. I don't know where the future of beer festivals lies. Yeah, I think that things... I mean, everything has to adapt. We're definitely a much more mature... Um, craft, I, I hate the term, but, uh, you know, craft beer market now, right? Because just sitting here on the panel, we've got people who have been working in beer for, you know, 15, 10, 7, too like, long? Yeah, for, too long. Is it too, too long? long? <laughs> Possibly. But, uh, you know, and, and so therefore so have our customers have been drinking that beer for as long as we've all been working in the industry. And so they understand more about that and, and we have to keep looking at for new fun ways to, to talk to new audiences but also to keep people excited about your brands. You know, obviously that's my job uh, is the marketing side of things and get people, you know. And I think, you know, I, I, I worked, so my first marketing, beer marketing job was for Brooklyn Brewery. And although they're obviously massive now and stuff, the one thing that they always held, and I've, I've carried this with every brewery I've worked for since, is that they talked about making, you know, fun events and having good beer at it. And I think that that is so relevant. And, and each brewery will have different events that are relevant to them and their brands. You know, things that wouldn't work, that would work for fine, that wouldn't work for sure shot and vice versa, because it doesn't necessarily correlate. But... Um, you know, once you kind of find those things, it's a really fun way to, like, create excitement and nice for the people who work for your brand as well to go and do interesting stuff as well. Do you think events have got more serious since you worked at Brooklyn? I mean, I saw AD in <laughs> Edinburgh many times setting up events in bars where she'd be unloading a car with, like, inflatable palm trees and boxes of shit, like, weird stuff. And you'd go into the bar, and I don't know, I can't remember what bar it was. You'd turn it into some, like, beach. It was mad. And you, it was just you running around <laughs> creating this, like, really odd environment. And it was, it was brilliant. I think that, unfortunately, the vast majority is that it's only the bigger breweries who have the funds to do that. So, you know, I'm not afraid to say that I had a decent uh, individual marketing budget that I could throw at things like, you know, £70 for an inflatable flamingo to bring to, the, <laughs> to a tropical event, which I, you know, you can't do for every brewery or every, you know, and things. And, and so I was very lucky to be able to do that, but very aware that I haven't been able to do that for every brewery I've worked for since. But yeah. I do think that, I think one of the things that's changed possibly in the opposite directions, remember we used to do a lot of meet the brewers, 
Right. And they were like, yeah. sit down and you would get a real breakdown of everything about a beer. All and the everything. hops, the yeast, the yeah. timings, the temperatures, everything. And I, yeah. Do you still do them? Absolutely not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And like, I'm really glad we don't. And I think it was dry. Oh, it was so, so dry. dry. <laughs> well, I think, so I think when uh, Meet the Brewers around 2011, 2012, maybe slightly before then, yeah. at the big events in London that they could really advertise an event properly. But, and they'd be brilliant. You'd have like 100, 200 people there. And, be, you know, I used to make cupcakes for people and all sorts. And, <laughs> Um, but until you've done that. a Weatherspoons in Leeds on a February night, you know, in the week, yeah. and three people turn up and mm-hmm. think, I, could, I better use some of my time here. So. Yeah. <laughs> and we used to do the same format, but I'm not a brewer. You know, I'm the, I'm the marketing person for, for, for a brand. And although I understand the brewing process and I know the brands that I'm working for, and I'm obviously an avid fan of beer and, um, and have learned a lot about it over the years, you would do the same format of events for sales reps, for brewers, but it wouldn't, sorry, as you would for brewers, but then it wouldn't be the brewer who was there and people wanted really technical questions and things like that. But then some people just wanted to drink and have a good time and it was... They were just an intro. They were a weird format, and I'm very glad that they don't exist so much anymore. <laughs> I don't think, and no offence, it's necessarily a good thing to put a brewer at the front of like oh, leading a tour. 100%. Because brewers are very particular people. <laughs> and well, sometimes the sociability and that kind of stuff doesn't come with knowing a lot about beer. Um, well, there's a reason we work behind the scenes. Exactly. Right. Yeah, not everyone wants to be at the front. Yeah, totally. Do you feel on the spot now? Perform. <laughs> so, Dom, you've worked at Thornbury's for a while and uh, obviously comparing with SureShot, who are very Newbury, I think we've seen uh, in the industry the new new, very cool. Uh, sometimes it's hard for larger, larger brands who have been around for a long time to maintain that uh, excitement. But I think Thornbridge are one of the, the best breweries in the UK to, and, and with Fine as well, of maintaining that relevance and... I think with you guys, it's definitely been a, a quality thing. Um, but there has been, obviously, I'm sure you can give examples of attempts to remain in, that, uh, in the scene because people are so fixated on the new. I'm just wondering if you could share maybe your experiences of how you found uh, working for a brewery for a long time and you've seen new breweries come around and staying relevant in that field. I think, I think for us, we do a lot of collaborations now, and that sort of is a good way for our brewers to express themselves and, and learn and bounce ideas off people. It's always good to have people come in and have a wander around and say, oh, we do things this way and that sort of thing. Yeah. We make a whole load of different beer styles, and, but we, we, try not and we try not to stay relevant in that respect. We just try and make as best beer we possibly can um, and respect the beer styles that, that we do. Um, yeah, because, I mean, there's always a smaller, younger brewery coming through which sort of I think Magic Rock found that out and Cloudwater found that out and, and Shawshot no doubt will as well and eventually Shawshot hopefully grow up and not in a disparaging manner I mean like in a you know James being, Campbell's behind some, it right some, <laughs> like, <laughs> some sustainability is, is what hopefully you know is, is there to, hopefully around for the long term is what I mean rather than anything else so but you've got the festival as well, right? Yeah, we've got Peak Ender. And that's, like, mega. It's so good. It's, it's almost as good as Fine Fest. So. Almost. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, Fine, Fine Fest needs uh, a room full of exotic birds, like the last time I went to Peak Ender. That was a, a real fun... I'll show you came to my allotment as well, didn't you? Yeah. 
That was a good day. <laughs> That's true. We don't have any giant cabbages here. <laughs> Distinctly <laughs> lacking. Um, in a more interpersonal kind of way, I was wondering if we could maybe talk a little bit about, obviously, uh, we have all worked in the industry for a long time and uh, try to maintain the fun. And we are jaded people who've, uh, who've been worked to the, to the bone. It's funny because um, it's, it's true. I'm wondering <laughs> how you guys outside, as, uh, mainly, well, I'm interested in all of your, all of your opinions, but uh, Dom, you've been someone who has gone through phases of, uh, you did, you were a big runner for a while, uh, then you discovered gardening. Um, do you think that those uh, distractions help you maintain your like work balance, work-life balance? Uh, absolutely. I think, it's, I think we had a lot of fun years, especially from when I was at Marble and before that, when it was, felt like us against the world and we were making the hoppiest beers going and all that sort of thing. And, and even the, when I joined Thornbridge for a good few years, it was great fun going to Belgium. And, you know, but it, it did just get a little bit wearing doing the same, meeting the same people and the same. And I thought, well, I could be doing something better with my weekends now. I think also the drink was catching up with me a little bit as well. Um, we're constantly surrounded by beer all of the time. And... Uh, if you're not careful, it does sort of... So I tend to have three months off now, January, February, March, and try not to drink during the week. So, uh, And if you can have that separation, and we can come to... You know, been really looking forward to Fine Fest for, for weeks now, and it hasn't disappointed. So, um, yeah, I think everyone needs something else outside of the beer industry. Yeah, I think when... Potentially when we all got into it at various stages, it was a very all-encompassing part of our lives. And I think... Uh, I've learned personally that I need, for able to be able to enjoy making beer and to find the joy in it, that I need to do other stuff. So um, my colleagues are no longer here, but I, I often don't go drinking with my colleagues after work because uh, work chat will continue. Yeah. Um, and there is a place for that, and it happens between 8.30 and 5.30. It definitely um, helps if you work for a rural brewery and don't live anywhere nearby, because that, that temptation's not there. So. But um, what have you... Have you got a, a, a thing similar to gardening or uh, running that you've found has been a good uh, way to separate that work-life balance? <laughs> I do now, yeah. It's funny if you'd asked me that question maybe like four months ago, the answer absolutely would have been no. Like, and I, and it, for me it wasn't about uh, trying to find a distraction from work. Um, I, it's always, I, I find the added challenge for me is that I work uh, remotely. I work on my own in an office with my team's out here, um, so sometimes you're, you miss the camaraderie of having people you can just you know shoot the shit with while you're working or share stresses with and things like that. So for me, it was it wasn't so much about uh, trying to separate myself from the job, but I just needed to find a way of like more balance and also not figuring out a time of switching off from work because when you work in your flats, um, there's no turn up at nine, leave at five. I mean, I know in most brewing jobs, it's not. Uh, we don't necessarily just do certain times anyway, but like, um, so I, yeah, I, start, I got a personal trainer and started doing weightlifting. <laughs> I fucking love it. It's been so good for my mental health. It's been like good for, you know, self-esteem. It's been good to like get me up at certain times in the morning and it's had the flow on effect of like, you know, making me want to be, maybe not have as many pints on a night because I know I'm going to go and do that in the morning. But then when I sit and have a pint, I appreciate it so much more. One, I've worked my ass off to, to earn it kind of thing. That's why uh, the, the Walker's Bar you know, is so great. 100%, you know. And I think that was, that was super important for me. But I think ultimately, I think for me always, the balance has just been making sure that 
that when I am drinking, I'm doing it because I'm really enjoying the people that I'm sitting having a beer with, and because I think if you're if you're doing it just because I th- when I first started in beer, you go to any event that's offered to you because it's so exciting, and especially if your work is paying for it, and you're like put your hand up for everything, and you get tired because you're you're giving up your weekends to do that, and then you still have to do your weekday job and things, and it can really catch up with you. But it's really fun when you're starting because you want to network and meet people, and um, and it's lovely. But then as I mean, I'm obviously I'm also 40 now, so it's, I don't have the same energy that I had like when I started 10 years ago, but. Um, now it's like wanting to sort of, I, I guess I pick and choose a bit more which of those things I'm going to dedicate my time to. And as many friends as I've made in the beer industry, I also have my own incredible pals who I want to make sure that I've got time to sit and have a beer with them and not everything is allocated to work events and things like that. So I think having learning a bit more about that and I think, if I'm honest, and this is a, a is that I think lockdown shifted a lot of my, kind of probably my approach to that because you were forced to take a break from all of that. And then when I came back, I was probably a little bit more carefully curating when and where I went. Yeah. Lucy, what, have you got an escapism from this horrible, horrible job? No. no. <laughs> I'm like half woman, half bear. Yeah. I drink beer all the time and but, it's great. But you still enjoy it. Um, I think, so the lockdown thing's interesting. So I was working remotely and doing a remote job when I worked for Siren as the northern uh, distribution person. Then lockdown happened and then the only thing I wanted to do when we came back was be around people. The reason I got into beer was because of the people. I think people are excellent. I think people do daft things when they've had a beer, which I absolutely love. So I'm all for it, like go nuts. So I really wanted to be back working close with people and not remote and not on my own. Um, so, take, you know, joining Sure Shot and setting up the tap room and running the tap room, it's, again, I didn't think I'd be behind a bar again. I didn't think I'd be going, like, back to that, if you like, but I love it. And all the old faces come back in. And so, I, yeah, you know, I, I spend a lot of time there. But if I'm having... I won't be there every night. I won't be there every day. But if I'm not there, I'm usually at another pub. Can't really lie. <laughs> I sometimes ride a bike. I ride a bike to, to and from the pub. To the pub and then leave it at the pub and have to go and get it in my van the next day. But that's probably it, if I'm honest. No, honesty's great. I, we all love the pub. We're, we're here drinking beer. Um, yeah, one of the things I was maybe struck upon earlier thinking about, I think we're uh, in danger of, with talking about this stuff, reminiscing and maybe over... Looking at it through tinted glasses of how great, oh man, 2014, the industry was, ah, oh, with no stress, the world was amazing. But look at it again, and the times that I was having the most fun in beer, uh, I was not, I don't want to say being manipulated, but there's definitely, uh, there was a culture back then of utilizing the uh, enthusiasm of 20 something year olds who lived and breathed for the job. And uh, I, yeah, like again, would go on every work trip I could every weekend. Uh, do you want to do this festival in Belgium? Yep. Do you want to do this festival in the next weekend in, in France? Yep, I'll do it. Because uh, it was exciting. And now when I look back, I'm like, how did I do that? When you're not in your 20s, it really hurts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the problem. So you have, to, you have to slow it down, for sure. But yeah, things just hurt more. We've all got older. That's, yeah. all, that's all that's happened. It's all that's happened, but I think... Um, 
there's also been a good change in the culture. Um, people have, maybe it's, I think even people who are younger, I don't think, I would hope they're not putting, being put through the same rigmarole of... Yeah, I see what you're getting at, Johnny, and um, I think a lot of the small independent breweries at the time that most, most of us were working for, um, they, they, it was their business, and they sort of expected it to be your business as well, even though you didn't have any shares in it, and so they wanted you to do a 70-hour week, and I mean, it was never, I had a, a, a wonderful time at Marble and, and a brilliant time at Thornbridge, but you saw, I've seen the collateral damage, and felt really sorry for a lot of people. Um, but I, I honestly think things have got better and the, you know, Twitter conversations have helped and blogs have helped, you know, in terms of looking after people's mental health and staff wellbeing. I honestly think things have, have got a lot better. But, um, yeah, and so we just need to keep that conversation going and making sure we're keeping an eye out for the staff and not expecting too much of them, so. I think it's always easy to look back with rose-tinted glasses, but you have to remind yourself that every year that we're doing anything is better than the one before because we've learned more, we've progressed more, the norm, the standards become better. So 100%, yeah, it's always going to be better. I would much rather drink beer brewed in 2023 than beer brewed in 2014. My 100%. God, it was, we were making some, maybe not Thornbridge, but a lot of us were making some, some questionable beer. Um, has, there, has anyone in the audience got any questions they'd like to ask? Oh, there's a question right away. <laughs> hi, hi, panel. In the spirit of um, fun, I thought I would ask you all if you had to go to a desert island and oh. take one beer with you for the rest of your life that you would drink every day, what it would be. Do you want some time I'm to think about it? absolutely taking my like, work cap off here, but I think probably a tenant's. <laughs> I think it's like, there's a reason why, you know, it's, it's popular, obviously. But I think if I was going to drink it over and over again, I wouldn't want to take the hoppiest beer, the sweetest beer, the most, you know, treacly beer or anything like that as much as I love them. I think ultimately, long term, hot day, I'm always going to want something cold. And, uh, you know, I think, I think there's something like that, a crushable can is probably ultimately what it would be. Is it, what I, is it my go-to every time I go to the pub? Would it be the first pint I chose? No. But is it the kind of thing I would end up... I think I could quite happily consistently drink for the years it would take for someone to find me? Then, yes. <laughs> I think it would be Red Willow Weightless on cask if nice. I could take one of the staff from the magnet with me <laughs> to condition it properly and serve it to me. Or, the, probably the more honest and the dirtbag answer is Stobby's a Red Stripe. Yes! Sorry. <laughs> Yeah. I think you and I would be quite happy on a desert island together. We'd be fine. <laughs> We'd be absolutely fine. And Dom? Uh, I'd like a decent pint of bitter, so it'd have to be a Bathams or a, a pint of Landlord, I think. So. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That. I think, I, I, I don't know if you, if you care about my answer. You can, <laughs> yes. We do, we do. We care, we care John. Um, yeah, one of the, the, as a producer, I'm sure Dom will... Uh, will appreciate this and many people in the room who produce things, be it music, uh, food, beer, whatever. It's very hard if you are in it all the time to appreciate your own products uh, with the same eyes that other people might do without scrutinizing it. So for me, uh, even though I drink for free in the tap room, I would quite happily take myself by myself to my local pub and drink a bottle of Augustiner because in my opinion, it's uh, it, it, like despite the chat we had before about um, 
lager brewing. It is for me the echelon and it is the one thing that I don't have to overanalyze. So yeah, I'd probably take that because otherwise I'd be stuck on a desert island uh, trying to figure out what mash temperature they used. Uh, there's... That is an excellent shout. Yeah, Augustina definitely. over Tegs though. Oh, 100%. Yeah? Good. Okay. Any more questions? <laughs> What's been your favourite beer of the beer festival so far? Oh, I was having, I think it was uh, the summer, summer aisle or summer Madaya. I had multiple pints of that last night. It was blood. Yeah, is that what it was? It was incredible. I just, also to me, and it's funny, it's one of, the, I guess, leads into the same subject matter is that one of the things that I found that makes my uh, beer experience more like more fun is just finding a beer and when I like it I'll just sit and drink the same beer I don't need to like I don't feel the, the need to try every beer on a beer board and things like that and, and I appreciate that that is part of the fun for other people for me I think I just want to sit and enjoy it and so I drank multiple pints of that one beer last night went back up and just ordered the same tap number and that was it I think mine was I can't remember the name, but it was an elusive collab and it was a red IPA and it was delicious. I do love a red IPA. I know they're uncool, but I really like them and it's nice to see one. Malt's coming back. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, speaking of malt, the uh, Duration Harvest beer was absolutely fantastic. It, was, it took me back how good it was. I was really pleased to try it. So, Yeah, I think for, for me, I... Uh, I don't even know. Annoyingly, it was probably the bottle of Augustina I had yesterday. Um, um, but uh, it's really, as a brewer, it's really exciting to come to things like this because I don't get involved with the, the beer scene that much anymore. Uh, I have to for my own... I'm, I'm also really busy, but I'm also for my own mental health. I can't spend all day uh, after work going and trying new beers. So for me, it is really exciting to see that there are people out there who are, A, interested, but also new breweries who are making, keeping beer fun, your sure shots. I mean, you mentioned Dea, like their branding is so fun. Everything about Dea is, screams fun and the quality is amazing. There's no sacrificing. Lovely, lovely bunch of people as well. Great people, great culture, um, great merchandise, everything about them screams like, and they've built such an amazing fan base that crosses between like the collaborations with, who did they, what did they do a collab with? Some shoe brands, shoe brand, yeah. but yeah, it's 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 really um, amazing thing this festival in general, and well done to Eddie for organising it. Not that the West where we're here, but um, thank you. I mean, I should should qualify that I don't do all of it. <laughs> but I think um, the reason that uh, Dom, myself, and Lucy, and everyone uh, who works in the industry make a carve out time of their year for this festival speaks of uh, a great amount about just it is like I don't go to any other beer festival uh, I think a lot of people are in the same boat it's like it's not a beer festival for us it's like uh, it's an opportunity like we can both like normally I'd be like oh do you want to talk about beer and not really hot day initially I'm like oh, I don't really want to do that but it, I don't do that enough and it is amazing having these conversations with people and uh, to know that we're not so jaded that we completely hate the stuff anymore yeah, I think the, the thing that's always made Fine Fest special, because I've been here as a punter before, taking on the, the job end of last year, is we have so many people who come every single year. I was chatting to people at uh, an event we had last night where, you know, they've become friends because they met here. We had a wedding last year and they met at Fine Fest. 
and so they got married here. You know, it's, this is a community kind of festival, which I think is just the nicest thing about it, you know, and it's the same way that we, um, and I'm not going to get on marketing field. this is just something that I've experienced because I'm seeing it from a slightly different perspective this year, obviously, significantly different, is that we invite the brewers and people to come along, but you don't have to work. You know, at most, you sit and do a panel, but the rest of it, we pour the beer and you guys get to just come and meet each other and meet us and have a nice time. And I think that really, like, is one of the things that's quite special about it. It makes it feel like a little holiday for us, really, which is great. So, yeah, thanks no, for having no, us. No other beer, beer festival feels like a, like a break. It feels like work. Um, yeah, I was wondering, do we have some time, Matthew? Um, how you felt that the... I've definitely noticed in the past few years, post-lockdown especially, that um, beer has become more local. Um, we've, there was a time period, like when we worked at the Hanging Bat, that of the 20 beers on tap, maybe none of them were brewed in Edinburgh. And uh, there's breweries out there in the UK that I don't see their beers because I don't need to, because in Leith we have many people making great beers and a variety of beers that fit the taps. Someone's making the stout, someone's making the lager, someone's making pale ales. Um, do you think that makes it easier to keep the momentum up and the fun where you have that more engagement with your, like, your, your audience? Um, certainly, I mean, I think it's really important for our brewery to have fans that, you know, come to the tap room every weekend. It's, it's very different to what it was where we had more of a, a UK region, like less regional, just like, especially in the craft sector where you'd have a tap list with a London brewery and then a Buxton and... Yeah. I, th I think we've got like so many wonderful breweries now in each part of the country. You know, you don't have to travel very far. You know, Matthew, you're in Manchester, you know what it's like there for breweries. And I mean, Edinburgh is so much better than it was five years ago. Even London, you know, a lot of the things have changed so much in London from the initial burst in just after the kernel, you know, and um, you, you can, we can go to Wales or we can go to any part of the country and, and there's, there's a quality microbrewery or, you know, even a bigger thing and so we, we can do that now certainly in Leith you, you had no chance five years ago and what you guys have done is, is, is amazing so it's the same with um, imported beers as well because when it all kicked off we were getting a lot of stuff from America and a lot of inspiration from America because honestly most of the beer that we were producing over here was pish and uh, <laughs> now it's got quite good we don't have to do that so we've got the quality and the locality of stuff it just makes it more personal so that relationship customers can have with a brewery or a tap room like means a lot both sides, and it yeah it, it yeah it keeps it it keeps it human. It's good. I think for us as obviously as a rural brewery, it's so it's invaluable to us when people come out and visit where we are. It doesn't have to be for fine fest. It can be to the tap room, you know, and come and have a look because I think it just gives people a better understanding of of who you are and they get to meet the team and things like that. And you're always uh, going to connect that, you know, you're going to remember that more than when you went into a bar and ordered a beer and, and know nothing about the, the brand behind it, the brewery behind it, when you can experience the team and they've given you an awesome experience in a tap room where you come out and you see where it's located and how that's maybe influenced the style of the beers and the, the business itself and stuff like You just have a better connection with it. So... That, that's something that I think has been a huge uh, thing in the industry is the the personality of a brand shining through in tap rooms. I mean, our tap room is so different to Sure Shots, but I, I hope um, speaks about the personality of what you'd expect behind the from the beer. Like it kind of feels more 
multifaceted and more uh, all-encompassing than before, where it was just like, here's a brewery, here's, you know, no one can open a tap room with just some tables and chairs anymore. It has to be better. <laughs> Those benches. The festival benches. Um, and I, think, I think it's different for you guys, though, because your rural breweries and your tap rooms are mega and they're really popular, so people make it like a destination. So it's a, it's a very conscious, deliberate effort yeah, to you, you visit get, and visit again. Yeah, you're not queuing out the door at our in. place on a Saturday and it's fantastic to see. They'll go for a walk in the peaks and then, you know, with, with, with one of the only spots in town, but... Um, you can be hundreds and hundreds of people enjoying the sunshine this weekend there. So, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's it's lovely to see. And like I said, being able to visit any small place now and find a decent tap room that you can get excited about, it's great. So, yeah. any more questions in the audience? Slightly unrelated. Um, <laughs> what are your favourite bar snacks to have with beer? Oh, scampi fries, but but also bacon fries, so you can do a surf and turf. That was such a um, blind date question. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and why? And why? It's the same. AD introduced me to bacon and scampi fries together in some sort of sandwich as a surf and turf where we were drinking pints of Guinness at um, City Arms in Manchester. And it was a game changer. How many packets did we get through? Oh, too many. Too many. The right amount. The right amount. Yeah. The right amount. <laughs> Dom, favourite pub snack? Pork scratchings. I knew it was coming. I just knew it. Um, yes, can be fries. Um, <laughs> <laughs> any other questions from the, from the audience? What's the best beer you've ever had? Like, the one you've enjoyed the most? Like, you might not necessarily choose it on a bar today, but at the time when you had it, it was just the best thing you've ever had. Okay, so when I first started working at the Hanging Bat, so this is right when I started getting into beer, and I had moved over from Australia, so I'd never had dark beer. I'd never even had a Guinness before. And, uh, and I was obviously on uh, bartender wages, didn't have a lot of money to be spending on bottles of beer when there was sort of draft that I could get discounted and things. So my friends uh, and I purchased one single bottle of uh, Brooklyn Brewery's Black Chocolate Stouts, and we sat in two, like, winged armchairs by candlelit, like, and shared it together, and it was a game changer. It, was, it had been recommended by the manager of the bar as one of the dark beers that he loved. So we sat and tried it, and I was like, holy shit, like, where has this been all my life? I didn't know that beer could taste like that because I had never had anything like it. So, yeah, that was, that was nice. And every year Facebook throws that memory back at me, and it's actually really, really lovely. So, I mean, I've probably had beers that I've enjoyed. Well, I've definitely had beers that I've enjoyed more over the years, but it's that... I've always said, like, it's the situation that you're drinking it in. You know, the same way that you can drink cheap Prosecco, but if it's for a celebration or you're at a wedding and things like that, like, it's, it's lovely. But it might not be what you go to at the bar every time you order a drink, but because of the situation that you're having it in, it just tastes better. Um, I probably can't remember the best beer I've ever had, honestly, but... Within the last two years, and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass here, but went into my local, he's very good at keeping cask, and um, they had Kipling on, and we popped in for one, and we had five in a very short amount of time, and it was... They're, they're lovely times, aren't they, when you... Absolutely perfect. When the beer's sinking. It was and... perfect. 
It was so good, and I can't stop thinking about it. And that's the most notable beer that I've had in the last two years. That's just great pubs for you, you know. And when you, we, we work hard on secondary fermentation and making sure it happens in cash. It's so an absolute it's, banger, honestly. It's brought forth in that manner. It's great to hear. So, yeah. I, it was at the Magnet, yeah. It was a really good afternoon. <laughs> I was quite hungover as well, so I wasn't intending to drink beer that day. Five pints. Delicious. Dom, what's the, what's the one I, for you? I genuinely can't think. Cause I've, um, I've had so many wonderful trips abroad to Belgium and Germany and all across England, I suppose. Um, it could be a pint of Bathams. Just been sat on my own with a book and been perfectly happy, so... I'll go with the Bathams Bitter. Um, I think the best beer I ever had was uh, the beer I had before my final brewing and distilling exam the night before when I realized that I could uh, have a beer and uh, play PlayStation because I was ready for it. And uh, I think after six years of uh, university and various stressing, and uh, it was the only time that I felt like not the only time, up to that point, the only time I felt so confident that in my, I was like, if I don't know it now, I'm never going to know it. And I'm just like, I'm having a beer. Like, the best way to go in, and I, I aced it, and like, it was the best exam ever done because I just approached it in a very different mindset than I had ever done before, which was like, I'm staying up all night and cramming. So yeah, it's, it's strange. I don't even remember what the beer was, but I remember that I had a beer, and that was like a significant moment for me that I probably would never have done that before. Thank you to everyone uh, for coming. Uh, thanks Thank for you. our wonderful panelists. Lovely stuff there from our panelists. Thank you to all of them for taking part. If you enjoyed that, do you know what I would do? I would go on to our subscription website, which is run by Patreon at patreon.com forward slash mag, and I would consider giving us a little bit of money every month, just a little bit, or more if you can afford it, a pound, four pounds, whatever makes sense to you. But if you do subscribe and give us that money once a month or once a year, then we will spend that money on making things like this podcast, like the articles you see on our website. Everyone who makes those articles gets paid an industry standard rate for their work, and our goal is to increase that rate this year so that they can spend more time on these pieces because they're being properly remunerated. That's how a magazine should work. And thanks to our subscribers, our readers, we can do that. We've still got a couple more of these FineFest episodes to come, so keep an eye out for those. Thank you again for listening. This is the Pellicle Podcast, and I am Matthew Curtis. I'll see you here next time. <laughs>